We are back at it. Welcome back to the Pistols Firing Podcast, the first one of 2018. If you've forgotten, I am Carson Cunningham, joined <laughs> by Kyle Porter. Kyle, it's good to be back with you, man. It is. It's great. It's been a while. Uh, we were The holidays are so weird, especially when there's uh, multiple wool games that you have to cover, Oklahoma State's playing, I have to cover it, because it feels like it should be kind of time off and restful, but you're sort of working which is kind of fun but you don't really want to it's it's just bizarre like I, I don't like the rhythm of of covering teams over Christmas but uh we did it there was a campy moral bowl there was a rose bowl and we have a lot to talk about yeah I mean bowl season for me it's always it's exciting and I get to go on trips but part of that is I, I'm I'm working I barely got to watch any of the yeah. bowl games yeah like, there's some bowl game on on a monitor far away from my computer that I'm working on usually. So it kind of flew by and I, I'm a little I jet actually, lag still, a little under the weather still, but I'm uh, I'm ready to do a podcast. I actually forgot about a lot of the bowls like Penn State. Who did Penn State play in the Fiesta? Uh, Washington? Yeah. I I I that I just didn't see a play. Didn't no, see a play. Nothing. I forgot about Miami, Wisconsin. It, it's just, it, it's a very, I don't know. It, it's a, it's a strange time. Um, and it's almost over. We got national title next week, but, uh, do you want to start with some basketball? Yeah, we had uh bedlam last night in Norman. Was the house good. of the house of horrors? I guess wasn't, they won the last time they were there, but, uh, was, was not great. Uh, the Trey young show, uh, Oklahoma state kind of, kind of hung around in the first half. And then just got obliterated to start the second half. What was your big uh, takeaway from that? That's probably the, maybe the most you've seen OSU play this year. Yeah, probably. What was your biggest takeaway? Uh, I thought Mike Boynton did a really good job in the first half, just limiting Trey Young from being like a supernova Steph Curry lookalike. I thought he had a pretty good defensive game plan, kind of got in Trey's head with the yapping that Tavares, Tavares Shine was doing. I even tweeted like Mike Boynton continues to impress. He's a likable guy and his team plays hard. And I think he, I think he knows what he's doing. Um, that was my big takeaway from the first half, but it just felt like, Oh, you was one Trey young run away from blowing it open. And that's exactly what happened. And it's pretty plain to anyone who watches OSU that they just don't have enough offense. If, if Jeffrey Carroll's not going to score 30 points, then they're, they're behind the eight ball in almost every game they're going to play in league play. Well, that was that was my big takeaway is Jeffrey Carroll. Uh, he was five for fourteen. He had fifteen points and ten boards, but if you actually watch the game, he was he was ineffective, not productive, uh, just not. He just hasn't. And and he's he's had a couple of big games like that. He had four points against A and M. I think he had three points against Wichita State. And he's just if if he's your best player and he's not stretching the floor for you, I mean. Oh, you said it. Oklahoma State don't have anybody that can that can spread the floor out. I mean, if if Thomas Dezagua Dizzy is is your guy, like that's that's not great. And so what happens is guys try to drive. Kendall Smith tries to drive. Brandon Everett tries to drive, and there's nobody that. I mean, teams just can bunch them up in the middle defensively, and you they can't score. They don't they don't have a real. Obviously, they don't have a real. Interior threat offensively. Uh, Mitchell Salmon's been okay. The new kid seem has been probably better than we thought offensively, but they just – you can't roll with a team like OU who's a top 10 or 15 team offensively. Yeah, and I think I think you're right about the defensive schemes teams are throwing at them because in, in the second half, it looked like they weren't even able to run offense. It just looked like they had to just jack threes. And so that that's going to be a problem. I think – I thought Seema looked pretty good. Uh, I th- I continue to think Kendall Smith looks like an NBA basketball player. Like he, he looks like he should be better than he's been. Uh, do, do you get that feeling when you watch him? When I watch him, he looks like a pro. Y- yeah, the problem, and I think His we've seen this. Play, but um, well, well, he he can't he can't shoot. Like he he just he takes bad shots and then he doesn't hit the ones that are that are good or, or that are, that are halfway decent. And so because he can't shoot guys just can play off of him and, and can stop him because he, I mean, he's a pick and roll guy. He's a, he's a get to the rim guy. He's got that big body. Um, but team teams just don't respect his shot. And, and frankly they shouldn't. And so that's, that's become an issue. Yeah, I, I can see that. Um, but again, I, 
I say Mike Boynton knows what he's doing. I, I, I believe that. I think he's proven that he he has the, he has like it, it, for me it was early to tell. It, it was easy and early revelation that Travis Ford could not coach. Had no idea what he was doing. Like that was a very I I was in on that train early. First or second year, I, I think you were the you were the conductor of that train, right? And you just you, you know I'm not, and I don't I don't pretend myself to be some basketball savant who you know can draw up plays on a whiteboard, but I just I know it when I see it, and I I see that he knows what he's doing, Mike Boynton. But it's fair to it's fair to say he's not getting enough out of Jeffrey Carroll for whatever yep. reason. Carroll has regressed from last year. He he yeah. came back as the leading scorer in the Big Twelve, as the leading returning scorer. And for whatever reason, he he just hasn't been the same this year. And I think it's part it's it's Mike Boynton's job to get him going. And I think he'll have to he knows he has to do that going through the rest of Big Twelve play. Yeah, totally. And it, I mean, it goes. You know, I, I thought it was interesting. I don't know if we've talked about this on here yet, but you get rid of Devon Dillard and and Zach Dawson, and so you have a. I mean, you have a lack of depth already. It, it's just you're without Lindy Waters and Bedlam. He's obviously probably one of your, I don't know, three or four best guys. And so you're just, <laughs> you're working with so little. I, I thought that, I don't know why Zach Dawson and Devon Dillard were kicked off the team. I, I can presume I've heard some things. It's I don't think it's anything crazy. I think it's just little stuff that added up over time. But what happened with him kicking them off is that he sort of, uh, and this, this happened Gundy's first year too, is that he, um, he, he kind of gave himself an, a little bit of an out in year one. I don't think he was necessarily trying to do this. It's just kind of an added benefit of you can say, well, we're trying to clean house. We want to do this the right way. And also like we had a, we had a built in ceiling, like we didn't have enough guys. And so you can kind of work your way up from there instead of starting out and, and potentially winning like 22 games and then going the other way. I, I just think it's, it's, it's better to start out, at the bottom and, and kind of incrementally work your way up, but he's got to, he's got to recruit some guys. I mean, they just don't, they don't have enough guys. That was very apparent uh, in the fact that two Oklahoma kids, Trey young and uh, Brady manic uh, two freshmen for OU just lit them up. They combined for like 55 on Thursday or on uh, Wednesday night. And uh, that's, that's a problem for Oklahoma state. Yep, they gotta get some dudes. He did get the uh, the transfer from Indiana. He's yeah. proven he can recruit transfers. That's one thing yeah. we've learned about Mike Boynton. Uh, you know, he is able to get them, so obviously he can recruit a little bit. What'd you think about Trey Young? I thought it was a down game for him, and he still ended up with what, like twenty seven, <laughs> like whatever. I mean, he had, had twenty nine, ten, and nine. He almost had a triple double. Yeah, and I thought they did a good job against him in the first half. I'm blown away at how good he is. I, yeah. I watched him in high school. I was able. I went to one of his games and I came away impressed. Like I, he's a McDonald's All American. Of course he's good. I did not think he would be immediately the best player in college basketball. I thought he was too slight a build, and it really hasn't mattered. He's been unbelievable, and he's been so good. I think OU now has to concede that they're only going to see him for one year because he's going to be a lottery pick. Yeah, yeah, he is. He see he strikes me as one of those guys who you watch him in high school and you're like, yeah, I mean, he's a good player, but then he gets better in college. And then I could see him getting even better in the pros, maybe not year one, but just in terms of the, the reason he's good is not because he's physically overpowering, but rather because he understands the way basketball works and he's pretty quick and he can shoot a little bit. And so you see him be good in high school and then you see him be great in college because he's working with better athletes. He's working with the guys who can space the floor better. I mean, the the way that he kind of drove the lane and would hit guys on alley-oops and know where guys were on the floor was, it was astounding. I mean, he looked like he was 27 years old and not 18 or whatever he is. So I like those kind of guys. I like the kind of guys that get better as they get older, as they get into better leagues, working with better athletes around them. Well, yeah, the, the passing is what's most shocking. We knew he could shoot. We knew he liked to shoot from Steph Curry range, but the passing for me is what's made OU uh, a top ten team in the country. I mean, yeah. he he makes his teammates better, which not a lot of, not every McDonald's All American can do that. So yeah, they're, they're they they can win it all, Kyle. They really I know. can. I know. Well, and it, and it it sort of that's highlights. Not a hot, that's not a hot take. They're a Final Four contender and 
things break right and if their bigs play well, they, they could certainly play for it all. Yeah, I hate everything. They've got the best football player and basketball player in the country. Um, and it sort of highlights the Big 12, right? I mean, you're going to have – you're going to have probably five or six teams that end up at the end of the year being ranked inside the top 10 from the big 12. Kansas has been there. OU's been there. OU is there. Uh, West Virginia's in there. I think TCU's like 10th. Texas tech is like 14 and one. I mean, if you're Mike Boynton, it's like, what, 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 like you have to have a top 10 team to be in the top half of the league. It's, it's insane. And so I think that, I mean, we say this every year about the Big 12, but it it just seems crazier this year. I mean, did you see Texas Tech go to go to Kansas and just they just hammered KU in Lawrence? Yeah, I heard it was like no fluke at all. Like normally when teams go to Allen Fieldhouse, they and win, they they shoot some crazy percentage from 3 and just have one of those games. I heard they just kicked Kansas butt. Yeah, they did. They're the number 6 team on kenpalm.com. Uh Kansas is number 7, West Virginia 10, OU 13. Uh, TCU's 22 and, and so on, but I don't know. I mean, it, it's, uh, what is, what is success for, for Boynton this year? If they, you know, 500 for the year, is that a successful season? Do you feel like, right? Just based on where they're at right now and, and how good the big 12 is. I would say eight and 10 in the conference would be a successful year. Oh, that, I think that would be astounding. Seven and 11. Yeah. Some, somewhere around there, six, six and 12, seven and 11. Well, he's gonna need he's gonna need help at Gallagher, but they gotta win some home games that they shouldn't win. That to yeah. me is their only chance of getting to that mark. So that I think yeah, that would be a really successful season. But I don't know. I think it's gonna be a long year. Yeah, I do too. I, I I'm with you though. I I'm you know, whenever he came on our podcast, what was that June or July or whenever it was, and said I'm obsessed with recruiting. I was like, wow, that's you don't you don't hear that sort of. I mean, you hear people talk about it. I don't think like I don't think Brad Underwood is obsessed with recruiting. I think he sees it as a kind of a necessary thing to be good at college basketball. Um, but to combine that with, I think, an ability to the thing that I've been impressed about Carson and and Mike Gundy did this his first couple of years is he's sort of um, letting his offensive defense evolve based on his personnel. Now, Mike Boynton's not working with a ton of personnel right now, especially with Jeffrey Carroll struggling. But I've been impressed with it, and it takes a it takes a guy without an ego to say, "Look, I know what I like, but that might not be the best fit for Oklahoma State basketball right now. So maybe we need to do something different." And he's he's done that for the most part. Now we'll see we'll see if that if that continues over the course of the next two or three months and and into his second season and 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 beyond that, but I, I've really, I've thought that part of his coaching has been, has, has been really impressive so far. Yeah. And I think what really stuck out to me was Bob Huggins, the stuff he said, he's like, he's like, they're good. Like I watched them on tape. Like Mike yeah. Boynton really knows what he's doing. Like, like Bob Huggins went out of his way to say all that. He didn't have to say that. He, he could say that every week in the big 12 if he wanted to. And I, I loved that, and I loved I loved what Mike Boynton said post game after West Virginia. That that quote that uh, Mark Cooper tweeted out, yep. where he was like, yeah. "I feel like everyone's waiting for us to suck," and I don't think we I think we're pretty good. Like I I don't know why people think we just we suck. Yeah. Um. And maybe that's what you and I have been saying, but I think I think he's done a good job to this point. It's just it's going to be a struggle based on the talent level he has, and that. Again, that's not he's not totally faultless for that. He was on the staff with Brad Underwood, so it just losing Juwan, it, it really shows you how good Juwan Evans was, really. I mean, he was he was awesome. Obviously Phil Forte as well, but uh they just they don't have enough pop really right now. Yeah, and, and it feels and, and I hope this is true. I, I think it is. It feels like he is do you remember how, like, when Travis Ford was in Stillwater, it felt like he was trying to to win, like, win it all every year and not actually building for like three or four or five years down the road. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't get that feeling with Boyne. It, it feels like he has more of a long term vision. Maybe that's just me projecting and like wanting something that's not there. But I feel like he sort of understands the end game and that it's not necessarily about this year, but rather about building a program. And uh, I don't know. We'll see if Oklahoma State can do that. But I'm, 
I am uh, I'm pretty impressed so far, and, and I'm and I'm hopeful at least for the future of Oklahoma State basketball. Yeah, the key the key dates for me are signing day for the next two yeah. years. That will determine Mike Boynton's fate. As as much as we talk about X's and O's and you know how he's what defense he's running, like it's a matter of if if Boynton can recruit to the level we think he can. Yeah, that's that's going to determine his fate. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's that's why he got hired, right? I mean, at least a huge part of it. And don't and, you forget he's thirty. He's thirty five years old. Like, yeah. isn't that crazy? He's he's like two and a he's half. Basically, years old, he's basically our me. age. I we, know. We, we went to college with him, basically. But he looks older, right? Like he, like I feel yeah. like looks older than you and me. <laughs> I, I was talking to somebody uh, on the PJ tour last year, and I told this person that I had uh, I had three kids, and he was like, "You have three kids?" He was like, "You you probably <laughs> bro- look old enough to drink." And I was like, "Well, yeah, I, I know." Um, I've so, always yeah. wondered that, like. I still look pretty young for my age, and I always thought, like, when when am I going to start looking old? Will, will it just will, will it just be too late at that point? I'll be like sixty that I finally well, look old. That's the thing. You see kids that are in college now. Like, if you go to a game and you see the student section or whatever, you're like that. That will make you feel like you look old because yeah, those kids look like they're like ten, Six, sixteen. Yeah, yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Um, right. But yeah, we need to talk some uh, some Camping World Bowl. Are you fired All right. Up? Yeah, let's do what it. What a bowl game. All right. <laughs> um, Oklahoma State goes out, beats Virginia Tech 30-21. to James Washington gets his final touchdown. Uh, him and Marcel Aitman combined for, I think, 233 yards. All the records were set. Um, just what, what was your impression from being there? Did it feel like... Uh, as much of an afterthought as it seemed like it did on my television. Yeah, I mean, you go around Orlando, nobody even knows there's a there's a bowl game. It, it obviously is the second tier bowl in that city, the Citrus between LSU and Notre Dame. People knew about, but um, no, I, I tweeted this. I thought the game was a microcosm of the entire season for OSU. They let an inferior team hang around for whatever reason. They did not go for the throat. They did not go for the kill. And it just, it seemed like every, it looked like every game I had watched this entire season besides Pitt and Tulsa. Uh, that, that, was, that was my big takeaway. I thought the defense was abysmal the first quarter. Uh, that they, they found their footing against a terrible offense, which you, which you would expect. And then the, the offense just didn't, like I thought Mike Gunny set a horrible tone on the first series when it's fourth and one. You've done whatever you want on that point on offense. Virginia Tech has zero idea what to do against you, and you kick a you kick a chip shot field goal. It's the Camping World Bowl. What are you? Why are you kicking a field goal? Yeah. On fourth and one in the Camping World Bowl. I thought it set a horrible tone for the game, but it just looked like every game I'd watch this year, and it it further illustrated to me that this team was nowhere near the playoff. Was they would have gotten destroyed if they played in the playoff? And let's be honest, they probably would have blown the Big Twelve title game before they even got to the playoff. <laughs> That's what I thought. If that's is that too much sunshine and rainbows for you? No, I, I thought, and I included your tweet in my ten thoughts because I thought it was really smart, and I, I, I think you were probably the first one to say it, and I wanted to give you credit for that. But it it was just such a, I mean, the the way that we remember the Camping World Bowl is the way that we will remember the entire season of just you have the number it'll end up being, I think the number two offense in the country behind OU in terms of points per drive. And yet you're number 80 in swagger. Like they just, <laughs> they, they just don't go out and they, they 80 ha- in swagger put that yeah. on the uh, quote board for the podcast. When you tweeted it out, <laughs> I mean, that it's, a, that's a great line. It's it's true though. I mean, I, I talked about this. I I wrote up the uh, I compared the 2011 2017 offenses one last time. I did it on Thursday. The numbers are the, exactly the same. I think the 2011 team rushed a, a little bit better in terms of yards per carry. Everything else, it's the exact same. I, I mean, the numbers are identical. And yet, that team went out and off offensively anyway. They hammered people. I mean, they just. They they couldn't get they couldn't they couldn't score enough touchdowns and this team it just felt like well I guess if the end zone gets in the way we'll score and and I don't I don't think that that's like what everyone was going out and thinking but collectively that's what it seemed like their attitude was 
And they had multiple opportunities against Virginia Tech to end it. I mean, just to sit, just to do the Vince Carter gif, it's over. And they and they couldn't do it. It's the same same story as the Kansas State game. Same story as Bedlam. And, and so you take this elite offense and put it in these high pressure situations, and and they they couldn't get the job done. And I think that fair or not, that's how we'll remember the the Mason Rudolph and and James Washington era is that they were really good. They're really talented. They put up a ton of numbers. Um, but they weren't that championship level caliber uh, team collectively. Now we can't say all this without mentioning the defense, which was not great all year, but man, that offense had a lot of chances to, to really make some history and, and was not able to do it. Yeah. It just felt like in that game and all season, we kept waiting for this offensive explosion of dominance that never came and it never came in the camping world bowl and it never came really since the pick game it just we kept waiting for this team to be something that it was not and i thought that the camping world bowl put a put a giant underline under that that take for me and i thought your your five takeaways from the season hit the nail on the head just you kept waiting for them to to just swagger someone to death and just and show dominant and show dominance. I mean, it just, it never, it never quite happened. And again, I think for me, it's, I, we'll get to justice Hill who was just freak. We're, we need to fawn over. So it's not all negative, but I, again, I, I thought Mason wasn't that sharp in the, in, throughout the game. I thought we waited on him to be Baker Mayfield all year and it never happened. And it just, I thought he, he missed some throws and, didn't play as well as he normally does. Now he did hit the big throw to, to Washington and, and Aitman. So he, he eventually did what he does. It's just, I, I thought Mason and the team never quite, never quite got it. Never quite got to what we were, we were waiting on. That, that's kind of what I'll always remember. But, but the confounding thing is the numbers were there, right? Like they scored as much, almost as much as the 2011 team. They scored with at the same efficiency. Um, they were, like I said, number two offense behind OU. But if you watch each each game, each drive, the way that games unfolded, I think what you're saying is is accurate. They just didn't they didn't seem to just click. And I I know that doesn't make sense to like just uh, some national person who's watching Oklahoma State randomly, and you see like all these points and and all these touchdowns and everything. And and what I'm saying, the words that are coming out of my mouth don't make any sense to you, but. I feel like people who are probably listening to this, who did watch every game, who did watch every drive, that that, that does make sense and it does resonate. And I don't know. They just, um, you're right. They didn't. They didn't become as a team what what we thought they could be. And yet, here we are, third straight ten win season, and and one of the best you know senior classes uh, yeah. to, to, to Let, ever come through Oklahoma State. Let's be honest with ourselves, though. Like ten win season is is great. Almost any year at OSU, but not this year. Not oh, with, I know. I not know. with what they had coming back. It's a huge disappointment but here, to, but lose, to lose three games. But here's the thing. They overachieved in 15 and probably in 16 a little bit, and then, yeah. they, under, and then they underachieved in 17. And so what you're left with is sort of a uh, an, uns, an unsatisfactory product over the course of three years that at times seemed like it was going to be, you know, at the at the national championship level and, and it's yeah. so, so you're left with just kind of a weird empty feeling at the end of it all yeah and i thought i think we need to talk about the defense like i thought pfb nate friend of the pod hit it pretty strong <laughs> on the head during the game he's like you're gonna you're gonna have a hard time finding a worse offense in the power five than virginia yeah. techs and they yeah. are just getting whatever they doing whatever they want just manhandling you really and yeah. i thought that was disappointing and Again, I don't like to call for people's jobs. You know, I see, you know, I I just, it feels dirty to me. I just, I look at what is on the field. I look at added recruiting emphasis and I see a worse product. That's that's what I see when I look at the defense. So it, it capped a pretty disappointing. And again, they hold them to 21. But again, Virginia Tech's offense is garbage. It is awful. And um, again, the, the kind of like the offense, the final result, I guess, looks good holding them to 21. But I just again, time and time again, it feels like the the parts are greater than the sum, if, you, if that makes sense. Well, and, and I think 
I think it does make sense. I think what happens is we, we look at these overall statistics and we say, well, they look the same as 2011 and they, and they do offensively and defensively. But I think what happened in 2011 is a lot of times you had Oklahoma state going up three touchdowns on somebody and then sort of just coasting the rest of the way. And so you'd have these, these sort of meaningless stats at the end of games. Whereas with this team, it was just like a, it was a war throughout the entire game because you're letting freaking Virginia tech go down the field on the first drive and making them look like 2013 Florida state or when it was 14, whenever they, when they won it all 13, 13. And, and, it, and you're just like the tone that that sets for the rest of the game uh, is not good. And, and I think as a result, that's why you saw them play so many close games over the course of, not only the last three years, but especially in this year, when you're supposed to be this swaggering top five, top 10 team in the country. And, and, and I just, I don't know, not all statistics are created equal, even though they look equal. If you actually watch the games, they sort of play out differently than the statistics would tell you. Yeah, I agree. But Justice Hill, Heisman contender this year. He's unbelievable. I mean, I, I was looking at, I was looking at Bryce Love's numbers. Bryce Love was a candidate. Uh, obviously for the Heisman along with Omar Jackson and, and Baker. Uh, he averaged Bryce Love averaged like eight yards a carry and he had 19 touchdowns. Justice Hill averaged five and a half and had like 14 touchdowns. So he's going to, he's going to have to up that a little bit, but man, he is, he's unbelievable. And, and if he can make the same, you know, I, I thought they, I thought they rode him a little bit hard this year. Did you feel like that? Yeah, I thought they could have spelled him a lot more than they did, but you look at him in the in the camping world, but he's the fastest, strongest player on the field. Yeah, I mean he's he's a legit like NFL draft pick. Well, and it, I saw uh, one of the NFL guys tweeted that that he's this top rated running back for next year. And it wasn't until like I saw like a camping world bowl practice photo, like his arms are already like close to Jeremy Smith's yeah. like again body by glass like what would what would Rob Glass charge if he ran like his own personal training like a million dollars a month <laughs> but he looks all, all he looks so much different than when he first got to it. he already looks like an NFL back just phys- physically and then you watch what he does with the ball in his hands it's just he's different and like again how is this guy only like a three star coming out of high school like, he is unbelievable yeah, he he's incredible, and, and he does things. I, I think my uh, you might have said this as well, but the thing that I'm most impressed by him is how patient he is with his runs. You, you get a lot of these guys, especially younger guys, and they just want to they just want to run 80 yards in like two seconds. And he waits for the hole. He waits for his blocks. He waits for things to open up, and then he and then he hits things at the right time. And I mean, his, some of his cutbacks are just. <laughs> I mean he. There's no, I don't think there's anybody in the last five or six years that has made me gasp out loud during a game more than Justice Hill has. He's he's unbelievable, and I, it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating to see how they use him in in 2018. Because man, Mason Rudolph said this after the game. He's like, they're gonna that's who they're gonna build around in 2018. That's that's who the team the offense anyway is gonna revolve around. Well, and watching the game up in the it absolutely should. And in watching the game up in the press box, what struck me is, you know, I'm up high and I sometimes we we're kind of in the corner to where Justice's back is to me when he's running and you can kind of see what he sees. At certain times, he can literally cut and go any direction, left, right, anywhere in between, even backwards. Yeah. He has just this supreme cut on a dime ability that a lot of times runs will be to the left and he just cuts and all of a sudden he's all the way around the right side of the field. Yeah. It's and that's that's NFL vision, that's NFL cutting ability. And that's one thing that stuck out to me during the game. I wrote that down. I was like this guy can can cut and literally go any direction he wants and de- the defense has zero idea where he where he wants to go. So that he was sensational as much as we ragged on the offense and the performance as a whole. He was he was awesome and they they put the ball in his hands when the game was on the line. That tells you all you need to know. They did. I noticed that. I mean, late in the game they just they just fed him and he ended it. I mean, he had he had a, that you know that final thirty-yard drive or thirty-yard carry that got them into field goal range, and then Lance Stevenson blew the field goal in from Amendola. Um, it looked like it was going to the right, and good old, 
good old Lance just came in and, and blew it back to the left. Um, good old fashioned knuckleball. That was that was. I, I've I think PFB and eight said this too, but I've watched that ten times and I have no idea how it stayed straight. Yeah, I think the the kicking gods owed him a few on those ones he hit the crossbar earlier in the year. Yeah, totally. Um, and just I, I'm just I'm excited about next year. Thinking about adding uh, J, uh, JD King, who'll be a sophomore after a year with with Rob Glass. <laughs> what is he going to look like next year? <laughs> I know he, he is going <laughs> to he's going to look like Jeremy Smith or, or Chris Carson, and then um, Chuba. Yeah, I, I mean think- it's it's going to be Gundy's going to visit Air Force during the summer to to fig- or Georgia Tech. There, Spencer Sanders is going to throw like eight passes next year. <laughs> can can Chuba steal Tyreek's nickname, Chuba Cheetah? Chuba Chuba Cheetah. That's what I'm going to call him. Just call like him Cheetah. It. Yeah, that's Cheetah great. Cheetah Cheetah Hubbard. Because <laughs> uh, they 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 think he's big time, obviously. So it's no, I think I think next year is going to be kind of exciting. It's going to be kind of fun. I do too. You know, the, the, ex, the expectations are kind of off your shoulders at that point. Yeah. You know that. That's another thing I think this year's team battled, Kyle, was just all the yeah. hype they got preseason. You know, everyone guaranteed they'd be in Jerry World, and they didn't handle those expectations very well. And I think mm-hmm. next year, those will all be gone. No one really expects much of them, and it'd be. I think that I think they can play and coach a little more loose next year. Uh, your boy uh, Tyron got some run in the game. Uh, I I <laughs> he caught he caught like two passes in a row, and I I I said to myself. Who's this? Who's this freak wearing number thirteen? And and where's and where has he been for the last six weeks? Why? And why? Then, and then Gundy said, "Hey, Ty- Tyron, Tyron, come here, come here, Tyron, come here, come here. Hey, Tyron, I, I called I called an Uber for you. It's waiting outside. Go, go back to Team Hotel. I cannot have you going to the NFL. Get your ass out of here." <laughs> and then we was never seen again. Like two passes gone. Like Gundy called him an Uber and sent him home because he didn't want the, he didn't want him going to the NFL draft. <laughs> He's like he's like Bigfoot. He just makes these just historic, unbelievable appearances, and then you don't see him again for for eons. Yeah, I mean, he, he caught two passes. It's not like he made like a historical performance. No, but he, but, he but flashed, I'm just saying he flashed ability that we've seen all year. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then Gundy just like there's a trap door on the sideline to send him immediately <laughs> to the locker room or something. It's just. He stepped to go get a Gatorade and boom through the floor back into the locker room. Never seen again. <laughs> um, okay, this is gonna be. I'm gonna. We're gonna go ahead and toast now because we uh, we need to get to it. But uh, it's time for the Coupe Works Toast of the Week. Coupe Works bringing great tasting craft beer in Oklahoma City. Try the flagship F5 IPA, the bold DNR Belgian Strong Ale, the refreshing Horny Toad Blonde. For your next watch party tailgate or get together with friends, enjoy a cold Coupe Works and please remember to drink responsibly i am gonna go first because i have my toast ready um and i'm gonna go with marcel aitman and i'm gonna toast a dnr to him for all the uh all the corners and safeties that he uh, dnr'd throughout the years did carson did you know that marcel aitman is a number uh, i wrote this down the other day i think he's number six all time in in yard in receiving yards at oklahoma state i was not aware of that maybe number five Wow. That's astounding. He's had one of the – I'll look this up. He's had one of the more underrated careers, I think, in Oklahoma State history. I mean, he, he's he's legitimately one of the, I don't know, six or seven best receivers to ever play at Oklahoma State. And he he wasn't an afterthought. I'm I'm not saying that, but he was – you know, his career got broken up a little bit, so there was a little discontinuity there, and then he was in James Washington's shadow throughout, and because of that, he just he just didn't get the, the publicity or the recognition that he probably deserved, but he was awesome again. Um, Mason went to him throughout the first half. He had, I think he had 107 yards total. Uh, he, it was his, like, 11th 100-yard game, which is, like, fourth or fifth in, in Oklahoma State history as well, so... A DNR to Marcel Aitman for an incredible career, and I think he's going to be, you know, right up there with with Rudolph and Washington in terms of how much Oklahoma State misses him in 2018. 
Of all the predictions you've gotten wrong over your days running the blog, I think back to Josh Cooper over Justin Blackman, more receiving yards. You need to prop. You need to pat yourself on the back a lot harder for predicting preseason that Aitman would be the one that Rudolph looks to on third down in big situations. I thought that yeah. was silly. I thought you go to Washington, but you were right. I mean, every big, big down this season, every clutch catch, you're going to remember Marcel Aitman, the one at Texas Tech. Iowa State on down the line. You were totally right about that. That that tells you just how good of a player he is, how much confidence Mason has in him. And I, I think you're right. Just the fact he missed an entire season, we forgot how good he was the year prior and the year before that. Like he was a very, very, very productive player before he got hurt. Yeah. And you're right. Washington overshadowing him did a lot to do that too. But yeah, I, I think you're totally right. He, he will go down as one of the best, and I think you're going to see his name called pretty early in the NFL draft. I don't know if it's going to be first round, but it's going to be the first two rounds. And uh, that that just I, – I can't wait to watch him at the NFL level because he has – he's like Mike Evans in a way. He's just too big, too strong, too good of hands for people to deal with. And I think I, – I thought it was really cool to see him go out with a 100-yard game for sure. Yeah, uh, he is six all the time, by the way, behind – this is uh, total receiving yards behind – Rashawn, the Woods brothers, Rashawn and Dewan, uh, Justin Blackman, Hartley Dykes, and James Washington. That's wow. It's pretty good company. That's impressive. Um, my toast is going to be an Oktoberfest, uh, orange can. I know it might not be in season still. I don't know. But I'm going with this because this guy, you know, it was really appropriate. You had Rudolph and Washington going out on a high, Marcel Aitman, and in their careers and true, true to their form. So did this guy. Ramon Richards. Yes. We had we had several that so Ramon plays. We had the the fumble like of course it's Ramon Richards that ends up with the fumble recovery. We had several almost pick sixes. And I thought he <laughs> did, I thought he just went out in total Ramon fashion and and he was the last player to leave the field. I was down on the field doing a uh, a Facebook live for Channel 5. And as I'm leaving to go back towards the locker room for post game, he's the last one on the field, just high fiving fans, and you can hear all these fans saying, "Man, Ramon, it was so much fun to watch you play." And I, look, was he the best defensive player we've ever seen in OSU? No. Was he was he entertaining as all get out? Yes. Did he make? Was it him the one who usually made the game winning play for the defense? Yes. And that's what I'm going to remember most. He, was was he very Jacob Lacey esque in that he giveth and he taketh away? Yes, yes. yes. But I'm always going to remember shaking my head, going, "That's so Ramon," because he ended up with some. He pulled off. He was just in the right place at the right time, seemingly his whole career. Yeah, I think some company in Oklahoma should uh, should hire him, and then just they would be immediately. They should you, some CEO should hire him as like his administrative assistant. And just like just to be around him, like to be near him, because good things are gonna are gonna happen. He just stumbles um, into like a one million Bitcoin somehow. <laughs> Someone just gives him Bitcoin. But yeah, exactly. To go along with that, I, I thought it was cool that Darius Curry got his first career interception in his last game. Gundy mentioned him after the game, and you know we we forget about a lot of those guys who are seniors who are not the James Washington, Marcel Aitman types. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just with with the both starting corners being out, it was kind of cool that two seniors got to got to go out and and get turnovers and and help help Oklahoma State win. Yeah, his brother was C.J. Curry, the one that was way more highly touted, and yeah. Darius is the one that actually finished his career at OSU. So that's pretty cool. And I was at post game, and I, I asked Gundy, just I was like, Mike, you know, you were you've been around all the great receivers, you as a player and a coach in the school history. What's it, you know? put it in perspective for us that James Washington's the all-time leader. And he, he spoke for a little bit. And at the end of it, he was like, you know, I'm going to miss seeing him running wide open down the middle of the field. He's always, that's been our identity for, for years now. And I'm going to miss that. Yeah. And, uh, he goes, he goes, but we'll move on. We've, we've had to deal with this before and we'll move on. But it, I thought he kind of summed up the feeling of, wow, this, this era is over, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, uniforms. Yeah, you got you hit the nail on the head. Let's uh, let's get to this week's uniform review. Brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. Be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Uh, I did hit the nail on the head. Uh, I think I ended up winning because of it as well. Did you for the year? By how much? I took some intel from 
our our friend and graphics god Chris Knox, um, he he had a little Intel for me, and it was out there for everybody, but I was the only one that used it. So so, I don't so know. In, inside job. Well, I mean, it was it was in our our group chat for you to see as well. What the what was the Intel Pistol Pete or Patriot Pete? No, he he had heard that they were going white black white. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. I, I was busy working. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> so that 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 seems like a, a rigged final vote. I don't think you won. Yeah, it might be. We might, I might have to I might have to bow out with with just display some integrity and uh, take myself out of the running. So did you win by like one? Yeah, I think I won. Did by I get one. Did I get second or did Southwell? Uh, you you did because you were leading and you guys picked the exact same thing. Okay. Um, but I yeah, I thought, high. I thought, <laughs> I thought it was a great combo. I loved it. I, I, that helmet is, is growing on me. It's a really good helmet. Yeah. It's grown on me too. I told you during the season when, when I kept seeing old photos of it, it was like, it kind of popped with the stripes Yeah, and adding the black face mask was just such a cool touch to go with the black jerseys. Like that's, that's like everything we want, right? We're always like, well, it doesn't, this Jersey doesn't go with that helmet. Cause this color is that color. And they've kind of. <laughs> They've gotten around that by just totally switching the face, man. I thought that was really cool and a really nice touch, and the combo looked great. I'm, I'm not a big white, orange, white, or white, black, white guy, but I thought it looked sharp, and there were rave reviews for the helmet on Twitter, too, so it was job well done. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was awesome. We need to go back over the next couple of weeks and rank all 13 of the combos. Uh, I guess they re- – did they reuse anything? Did they have the exact same in, in any game this year? No, not the exact same helmet and jersey and pant, but they did white, orange, white like three times, just with yeah, different helmets. Right. So we need to we need to go back and rank them. But those I, are my I, bottom three, by the way. I think, yeah, I bet. I think this one's going to be in my top, uh, probably top four. I think I think it was right up there with with. Uh, yeah, I, I know what number one is. It's the best combo they've ever worn. Bedlam, South Alabama. Oh yeah, black, white, orange with the chrome badge helmet bedlam's up there though yeah i mean bedlam is one or two i think pretty much for everybody yeah so we'll we'll go back and do that but uh speaking of bedlam i want to talk to you about your rose bowl experience but first let's hear one more time from our sponsor chris's university spirit and then we will come back and wrap things up Chris's University Spirit on Campus Corner in Stillwater, Oklahoma is proud to be your one-stop cowboy shop since 1986 and proud sponsor of this podcast, Pistols Firing. They specialize in custom-printed Oklahoma State apparel and merchandise and pride themselves on their excellent customer service. They also offer a full line of custom Greek apparel and can even outfit your Little League team head-to-toe. They're located at the corner of 3rd and Knobloch on Historic Campus Corner. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Shop Stilly, shop Chris's University Spirit. Okay, Carson, you were at uh, the Rose Bowl for how long were you there? Like a week? Uh, I was there, I got there on Friday. The game was on Monday, so just a few days. Okay. Uh, just was it, I mean, was it the craziest college football experience you've ever had? Probably, yeah. I mean, I've been to a lot of games. Um, Bedlam 2011 sticks out just for the sheer uh, sheer history of it. But I thought, you know, I was there, obviously, and then I, we get to go down the field like five minutes left in the game. So I'm down yeah. there right at the end of regulation and for overtime. And I thought Brian Keating said it best. He was standing right next to me. He goes, he kind of stopped and turned and looked around. And the whole place is just standing, going nuts. It is insane. And the Georgia band's doing their dun, dun, dun. It's just, everyone's going nuts. It's, it's an unbelievable atmosphere. He, he kind of looked around and he goes, you know what? This is exactly what it sounded like being at the Vince Young 2005 Texas-USC game. He goes, this, this is what we're experiencing right now. And I thought that it just, that's the, I can't put it any better than that. That's what it felt like. The, the magnitude of it felt that big. The game obviously was incredible. First overtime game in yeah. Rose Bowl history. Uh, it lived up to the hot, you know, I kept hearing like, oh, it's the, greatest scene in sports you know kirk herbstreet my favorite place to call a game i was like all right like it's around some mountains cool and then you get there and you're like okay this is unbelievable because it's perfect time of day where the sun sets during the game the the stealth bomber flyover was one of the coolest things i've ever seen that was insane 
and then the game just played out as an all-time classic. It was it was unbelievable, and just I couldn't help but think, oh, you blew it, you know. That just it felt like they should have won that game, and they they kind of let George off the hook. But it was yeah. Uh, Sony Michelle scores literally three feet in front of me. The dog pile happens like three feet in front of me. It was an experience I'll never forget. It, 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 you know, you, you said it, but it, it felt historic as, as you were watching it. Like I was watching at home with the kids running around and it just, I actually ended up watching most of it on the, um, on ESPN news with the coaches round table thing. I can't do it. I gotta, I gotta listen to Herbie and Fowler. I can't yeah. do the the, the coaches thing was awesome. I, I sort of wish that, that I would have been watching Herb Strait and Fowler for the, the final call. Yeah, I mean, I'll just I'll just see the tweets, people tweeting what Dana said. I don't need to watch it. Or if I do watch it, it would be a replay. I'll, live, I want to hear the call of the game. Yeah. But it, it, it was um, – I mean, it, it was incredible. Like, you, you could just tell at some point – it might have been when they called the, the uh, wide receiver pass to Baker or maybe the when Georgia first scored in the second half, but it had that feel of like – Hey, this this might be an all timer, you know, and yeah. no matter who won, it it was gonna. I mean, it, it was it was legitimately probably one of the best. I don't know, ten games in college football history. Just in terms of what was at stake, the location matters, I think, um, and and just how the game played out. And I'm with you. I mean, we've we've praised Lincoln Riley all year. I think he's awesome. I think he's a great coordinator, and a, and a, he seems like a pretty good coach. And they that wasn't pretty down the stretch. That was uh, a lot of I don't know outthinking yourself. Gundy said little, this after little little Gundy. Yeah, looked Gun- like Mike Gundy took the headset from him. Yeah, Gundy said this after the camping or, or at some point during Camping World Week, which is <laughs> what we should call that, by the way. <laughs> um, but like you, when you have great players, you you and a great team, you have to try to not outthink yourself. And it feels a little bit like that's what Riley did down the stretch. Now, Georgia's, you know, Georgia's got some dudes on defense, but I just, I almost felt like Riley took Baker out of the game. I mean, didn't, didn't he? Sort and, of take- and Rodney Anderson. They're yeah. the guy they couldn't tackle for most of yeah. the game. Like if you're going to run the football and be conservative, okay, but give it to Rodney Anderson. If you're going to do that. I thought he I thought he outsmarted himself. And I think he got a little spooked. In the second half, Baker took at one point five straight sacks. And I think that I think he was a little spooked how the defensive line was handling the offensive line at that point. I mean, look, the, he got conservative in overtime. There's no other way to say it. But it did strike me when when Cybert's lining up for the first field goal to tie it. I'm like I have no skin in the game. I went to Oklahoma State. I'm not an OU fanboy by any means, but I got like nervous. I was yeah. like on the field. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just nervous for everyone involved on the field. I'm nervous for Austin Seibert. I'm like, I would never ever in a million years want to be in his position right, no. that he's in right now. No, I would be able all. to tie my shoes, let alone kick a field goal. Yeah. And he made it and just like, you just feel the air. Everyone like 60,000 OU fans just gasp. Just, Oh, okay. We're not done. You know? I mean, and I, and I was on the field, and one thing I'll never ever ever forget. I can still see it as I'm talking. When they got down to fourth and one or fourth and two in that second overtime, and Lincoln's like halfway out on the field, he's he he, want, he everything in his power, everything in his mind and, and body, is telling him to go for it. Yeah, and he literally just could not pull the trigger. He had to call timeout. He wasted too much time to where they were gonna have to rush on and kick it. So he had to call timeout. Like. He knew he needed to go for it. He knew his defense. He knew the overtime format is better for Georgia. He knew he knew all of that. It's just it's so hard when you have that much on the line to take a risk like that. It's so much easier to kick the field goal. And I think when he wakes up in the middle of the night, he's going to remember, God, I should have just gone for it, put it in Baker's yeah. hands, run a run pass option, or even the quarterback draw that works so well. I, I think he'll look back on that and just wish he had done that. Because, look, they – they weren't going to stop Georgia. They just weren't. And when yeah. you have the ball in your hands, I think he, I think he deep down, he knew he had to go for it. He just couldn't. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I, I haven't stopped thinking about that game. It, it was, it was so incredible. And, you know, we talk about styles make fights and, and they were very different teams in terms of the way they, they run things offensively and, and even defensively in a lot of ways. But it was just there was so much back and forth. I couldn't believe how good. Uh, what's what's uh, George quarterback from? 
Jake Fromm. He he was unreal late. He's a freshman. And he's and he's making throws, you know, throwing these slants between two guys into I mean it, it was the whole thing was just was just unbelievable, and and, and I can't. Um, can you imagine playing in a game like that? Like, and and maybe oh. maybe maybe you're just so deep into it that you don't even like think about it. But I would be out of my mind. Like I I wouldn't even be able to stand up. It it, it was just, and and that's the thing. I, I wrote about this on on Wednesday of just like I want to I want Oklahoma State to play in games like that. You know, we we talk about. We talked about this earlier. T- uh, three straight ten win seasons. I I don't I don't care that. I mean it's it's good, but I want games that you remember that you talk about. Oh, you played in in three of those this year. They played at Ohio State. People are going to talk about that forever. They played Georgia. People are definitely going to talk about that forever. And Bethlehem. That was a game. That was a college football game. That that felt like it was big time, and it was. And Oklahoma State just doesn't play in enough of those games. Partly because of the way they schedule, but also partly because they haven't gotten there in the postseason. And those are the kinds of games that I that I want that I want to see OSU playing in, and and they haven't. Yeah, and I think that goes back to your non conference scheduling takes. You know, like we we'll, we still talk about going to Athens. Now OSU got housed in that game. We still talk about it. Yeah, we definitely still talk about the Georgia game they won. Uh, so yeah, I I agree. It was it was an unbelievable environment. Uh, one I'll never, ever, ever forget. But I, it's just it. I, I, Baker was sick leading up in the week. That's no, that's no secret. He sounded horrible <laughs> after the game. I didn't think he played well. Like his numbers are still good, but he missed some throws that he made against Oklahoma State. And he's made yeah. all year. That he, yeah. I, I do wonder how much that affected him during the week because that that interception he threw to Andrews is just is simply a pass he has not thrown that was, almost his entire career. Yeah, that was pretty bad. He did it. Well, he did it in Bedlam, I guess, to Chad Whitener, but that was yeah. But that that was different. He didn't see like Whitener was yeah playing like the robber position. He was couldn't see him. It was one where he just didn't see a guy. This one, he just sailed way over his head. He he knew where he was throwing it. He just missed by that much. And the wheel route to Rodney Anderson right before uh, the end of regulation. I think he hits that if he's a hundred percent. And again, that that's where the play calling like, and this is kind of what I said after Bedlam like. The, the Mason Rudolph play to Tyron Johnson, a very similar play. It's a wheel route. They go deep. And if you hit it, you win the game. But like on third and two, you got to run something, you know, you can get a first down on third and five, whatever, or third, and whatever it was for OSU. You got to run something that is a high percentage play. And they both ran low percentage plays there. I hated that. I thought those were two terrible calls. Yeah. The, the but, coaches in the, uh, on the round table thing killed, killed OU for that. They're like, what are you, what are you doing on third and two? I mean, yeah, just, I'm running it twice. I'm yeah. not, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm already thinking about fourth down. Yeah. Cause it's right. Reg- go win it. You should get in field goal range and let Cyber have a chance at it. So I don't know. It just, again, I think if they played Georgia six or seven times, they'd win the six or, or if they played Georgia 10 times, they'd win six or seven. But, but their defense, and I thought their defense would hold up better. I thought OU's defensive line and linebackers were better than they were. And they clearly were not. But, but I, th- I mean, the big the Big Twelve kind of needed that, Kyle. As much as people don't want to root for OU, they the only way you're going to change the narrative is not let two SEC team SEC teams get to the title game. And I know, obviously, OU winning it would go a long way too. But I don't know. It's just you know, again, I'm not an OU fan. I just I, when I think of that game, I just uh, you just shake your head. Just how many chances they had to win it. Yeah, I thought your take about uh, 2011 was was great. Like that's what could have been with with Oklahoma State and LSU. Yeah, but but yeah, we have a two-team playoff, and ah, uh, let's just see a rematch of a team that already. It's still maddening to me that in a two-team <laughs> playoff, where you shut out four of the five conferences in a rematch scenario, like yeah, in a two-team playoff, the fact that that was ever agreed upon is still ridiculous to me. It goes back to that ridiculous eye test nonsense. Um, I, I, I test. We already saw the game. That's the eye the, test. The, well, but speaking of Central Florida declaring themselves to the the champs is the best thing ever. I'm I'm all the way in on that. I think it's freaking hilarious because and this has been my thing all along. It is insane to have a sport in which you come to your team at the beginning of every season and say, "Guess what, guys? If we win every game, there's no way we can win it all." 
There's no yep. chance. That is insanity. It is the dumbest thing in sports. Put Central Florida in a different league. I don't I don't care what you do, but let's not pretend like we're all playing the same sport here. It's it's so stupid. I mean, it's so dumb. So good on them for calling themselves the champs. That's awesome. By the way, I am I, I could not be less excited about the, the national title game. Oh, I might not even watch. I might not either. It's going to be like 10 to nine. And as much as people complain about, about Baker and I get it, like he's frustrated. I mean, Gundy said it after about six frustrates some people. He's, he's <laughs> frustrating when he is, but he is so good. Somebody said this after the, uh, the Rose bowl. He's so good for not only uh, call it, or not only the big 12, not only OU, but the big 12 and college football as a whole, because he gives you, I mean, he's a lightning rod. He gives you somebody to root for and to root against, and that's what you want in sports. And him not being there, I think, is a is a big time loss for college football. Now, was I rooting against OU the whole time? Yes, I was. I am biased. <laughs> I am choosing a side, but I also think the the national championship would have been better with with Baker involved. But I thought your followers thought you were an OU fanboy. You were rooting against OU. People can't handle the fact that like like realities like people are coming at me for saying that OU has the best football and basketball player in the country. That that's more or less a, a factual statement. Like that's a reality, and people just they can't handle that. No, they can, and specifically OSU fans. And look, it's a minority. I'm not saying every OSU fans like this, but I'd had enough. I was at the airport at like. I got up at like 4.30 in the morning. I'm at the airport at like 6 for my flight out of L.A. I am cranky. I am not a morning person. And I get this jabroni saying, uh, maybe now your your love affair with Baker Mayfield will end. And I just wrote back, I, I had enough. I find, I'm, I'm quote tweeting this idiot and I'm putting fans on blast. I said, yes, and OSU fans being butthurt about, about coverage of a Heisman Trophy winner. As if we're supposed to just ignore him. As if he's not great. Uh, the butt hurt from OSU fans for covering a Heisman Trophy winner will finally end too. And of course, I got a few tweets going. Uh, Channel Five allows such unprofessionalism. Oh, get over yourself! You guys are <laughs> butt. You guys are butt hurt that I talk uh, at all about Baker. And I get it; it's a rivalry. They don't want. They're. I get it. OSU fans don't want to hear about him, but I cover OU too. So deal with it. Get over it. He's one of the best players to ever play college football. And just, I'm glad that's over with. I don't have to listen to that anymore. It's just, it's reality. Like the guy is an unbelievable college football player. And the fact that people just can't accept that just is asinine. I thought what he said after the game about, <clears throat> I forgot the, the Georgia kid who was yelling at him, humble yourself, which is pretty hilarious. <laughs> yeah. And he, and he got asked about it and he said, look, they won. They, they can say what they want. They won the game. And to me that, that summed him up. Like he is here for the show. He is the show. But he understands the absurdity of it all, like just that this is a big circus, essentially. And and he's a and he's a showman. And look, like he's he can be like really, you know, kind of a you know what. But I I think that fundamentally he sort of understands that this is just a big game, and he loves playing it. And well, I mean, on, and, and if he's on the wrong side of it, he he. He understands that, and he understands what his place is in that. Yeah, I mean, if you give it out as much as he does, you got to expect to take it, and he yeah. took it. And the same thing happened when they lost to Iowa State. Remember, they planted the state of Iowa flag on midfield. <laughs> he, he like he like made a joke about it and moved on. Like he knows, like he knows yeah. as much trash as he talks. That if he loses, he's gonna get it. Like he, yeah. he understands. And I think most trash talkers understand that they're not like taken aback when someone trash talks them when they lose like they expect that and that's part of the deal yeah so um yeah it was it was pretty he, he handled it, he handled it pretty well afterwards he's pretty classy and then yeah. um it was kind of cool to see him take his last walk around the field but but yeah it's the end of an era so now it's two unknowns really for osu i think it's gonna be the spencer sanders kyler murray show next year so we'll yeah. see how that plays out i don't yeah. think kyler murray is a sure thing i think he's talented i think he's fast Guy's he, fast. He, he makes so fast. He, but he makes Baker look like Mason Rudolph. He's he's way smaller than Baker. So yeah. I don't know if he can run around too much at his size. Uh, worked out for Baker, but but yeah, it's gonna be I, interesting because I, I the, the, there's no like it's kind of like what you said about <laughs> Riley and Stoops. Like 
he can't be as good as Stoops, so how good can they be? And I feel the same way about Murray and, and Mayfield. Yeah, and I think that – I mean, I think you're right. I think Sanders is going to be a better passer, um, but Murray's also been in college for like three years, so I think that's going to matter. It's going to be fascinating. I'm already excited about next year. We've got college hoops to get through. We've got some baseball, more more recruiting, a bunch of other stuff. But uh, now we've got the the eighth month eight month hibernation of uh, of college football off season. Oh, saddest time of the year for me. <laughs> After the national title game, I go into mourning for at least a month. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're back from Camping World Week as well as the Rose Bowl, and uh, we will uh, be more frequent with our pods this month. Sounds good. Okay, buddy. We'll talk to you later on. See ya. See ya.